Howdy doody, friends. Welcome to episode 86 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Thane Marcus Ringler. Thane is a former professional golfer, author, speaker, and he's the host of a podcast called The Up and Comers. Thane recently released a book, From Here to There, A Quarter-Life Perspective on the Path to Mastery. I admire people like Thane who are getting after it, pushing themselves to understand themselves further and try new things, developing skills, and taking it seriously in a very relatable way. Not too much gristle. If you'd like to check out more about Thane, you can find him at thanemarcus.com, and I'll leave the link to his website and his social media in the show notes. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to becominghumanpodcast.com, rate, review, share it with your friends, pick up a hat, cover your ears for the winter. i got to get beanies in there. I'm going to play you in with a track by Idea and Abilities. Without any further ado, here's Thane Marcus Green. on golf so much because i know that children and teenagers have a hard time um you know with responsibility and with being so focused with with hormones and with all of these changes um coming from partying to um trying to get laid with guys or girls was that like an issue for you um or were you always driven and focused on golf yeah, I think I think it's something that we all go through, right? And and there's there's endless amount of things that can fulfill momentary desires. I mean, that's that's being human, right? That's that's what the experience of being human is 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 always these daily decisions between short-term reward or delayed gratification, that long-term gain. So, for me as a competitor, I mean, I think I was I was given a lot of benefit having a competitive drive, competitive spirit because that is what really motivated me to to say no to some of those short-term rewards um, or things that could be distracting or not not really in line with my purpose um, I I definitely had things that you know I, I wouldn't um, you know I think as most of us do in high school we make mistakes and we learn through our failures and so I think uh, I think having 
an ability to um, to go through that period of life and really learn um, what to do. A lot of times we learn what to do from what not to do. And so I think those are really helpful periods as well. But but I was blessed through my competitive nature and spirit that really gave me the focus to, to spend a lot of time and be dedicated to my sport, my craft, and then and also my faith. My faith really um, helped me make decisions that I think were in alignment um, and, and, and that would better promote uh, what I was striving to accomplish. Was there at any point um, that you wrestled with your faith? Totally, yeah. No, I mean, there was... I I'm a Christian and and when I when I accepted when I when I believed for myself it was a young age but but for many years um in my high school years and into college years I liked to say one thing and then I would do another thing with my life and so my life wouldn't stack up to a lot of what I said I believed and and so there was a big disconnect there that that eventually um came full circle in college to where I I was finally uh, reminded and kind of exposed to of, of this double life that I was living, and and it was a great opportunity to really own up and and really get clear about who I actually was and and what I actually believed. And that was such a blessing to have a period where um, it's it was time to make a decision and and commit to um, what I believe to be true. And, and since that point, it's been really a blessing to, to know how important it is, you know, to have your life fall in line with what you say, regardless of what that is, right? It doesn't matter if it's, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's your faith or if it's your job or if it's your, you know, goals or visions for, you know, the year ahead, like we're approaching 2019 here. And, and, and really, you know, it doesn't matter what resolution we make. It matters what resolution we actually do, right? So it's always the actions. And that's something that I think is really important to just think through is that, you know, preaching truth to yourself, telling yourself what to do is only half the equation. The other half is believing that truth. And the only way you believe something is by acting on it. Because if you don't act on it, you really don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And I see that with some people where um, they'll leave like lead lives like quiet desperation right the whole thorough quote um and the biggest thing is is just following through with with what you want or being true to your values Mm -hmm. and regardless of what those value values are right um and that's where i think there's something to be said for i'm not religious i'm agnostic however i do see the value in in having um hard and fast values right and principles Mm -hmm. to to abide by um, and even difficult ones to abide by, right? Um, that's why exercise has been great for me. And also, uh, I'll do like fasting, for instance. And sometimes it's it's hard to stick to that routine that I create. But sticking to a routine in the first place and having that discipline has helped me universally throughout my entire life. Whether it's um, cultivating relationships with other people um, or, you know, trying to reach some goal. Um, what was your self-talk? like or what were the biggest strategies that helped you in that time where you were trying to get your actions in line with your values yeah no it's i think i think you made a great point like it it it, there's a we we have to have structure right like structure is actually what gives us freedom and that's where like Jocko Willink talks about discipline equals freedom and really having discipline and having structure is what gives us the freedom to create within that so I love what you had to say there but for me at that time the self-talk was really just I, I think it's just really um 
seeing my, trying to see myself objectively, you know, it's like for so long you deceive yourself into these dual kind of realities, um, that in that period it was all about, okay, like who, who are you really at your core? Um, and what do you really believe to be true and why? Um, and so a lot of it is just searching. A lot of it is just asking, um, asking God, asking others and, and really just get, getting true with my heart and what, what I've lived and experienced and, and know. And, um, and so I think that period was a lot of questions and a lot of searching. Um, and then going forward, I think the self-talk is always, um, what can I do to make sure that my actions do fall in line with my beliefs? Right. And, and that's a daily process that, that process never ends. It doesn't matter where you are right in life. That process is daily. And, and I, I mean, it's also so important too when we think about creating a vision for our lives and what we want to strive towards. Like the only way you ever get to a, a big vision, and a big vision takes years and years and years of time to accomplish, right? And so the only way you ever will make progress that way is if you're daily putting that vision in front of you. And and for me and my faith, you know, that's daily. I'm I'm starting and ending my day in the Bible and God's word. And, and I'm also starting my day on my knees, you know, in submission to him. And so there's things like that that I do that are very intentional parts of my life and my structure and my routines that help me, you know, live in alignment with my beliefs and my vision. Mm-hmm. And is there ways that that has helped you in your practice of living with your, um, in line with your beliefs and your vision outside of religion? Oh, totally, dude. I mean, I, this is this is comprehensive, right? So, um, so things like weekly um, checking in with my priorities, right? It's I think there's I think there's three tiers, three different levels of like habits and routines. I think there's the daily habits and routines that are really important just to consistently making progress and helping us overcome the fluctuations of emotion and circumstances in life because life is full of momentum ups and downs it's a roller coaster there's always highs there's always lows and they're unavoidable and they should be like that's not a bad thing i think it's just rebranding it and seeing it as a good thing and then using it to our advantage so there's daily habits routines there's there's kind of a weekly habits routine so things that take place every week like a day of rest or a day of really or a, a set aside time to really plan out priorities making sure that um, you're actually making progress and not just doing tasks and and some other things like that and having good time with community and friends um, having good rest and and recovery times and then there's monthly or yearly where you spend a bigger chunk of time, really um, vision casting, you know, revision casting, and also um, really reflecting properly, right? Like, I think years, the calendar is such a helpful guide for that. Having a stop and a start to a year is is just super helpful. So I think there's different tiers and thresholds, but there are many ways that we can incorporate those practices into our lives that that ultimately help us do what we know we should do or do what we want, we truly want to do, but don't always feel like doing. And that seems to be a, a struggle that touches everyone in at least some amount, which is doing the thing that you want to do and, you know, following through with that. And then if you follow through, um, being successful with that. Um, and that's the, like, I, I talk to people where, you know, they've, 
spent their whole lives trying to figure out what it is that they want to do, all the way to the spectrum of um, being able to pull it off and be, you know, very successful. And I always wonder, like, how to prevent that within myself. And that's where athletics have been really important mm -hmm. for me because I've been able to um, simulate that in short, short experiences. Like, for instance, if I'm planning for a run or for my for, for like a race, right? I'm going to do um, a marathon. And in that marathon, I have to utilize all of these skills and there are real world um, consequences that are meaningful to me. For instance, uh, for the competitive side, it would be getting uh, first or within the top five. Um, or for somebody else, it might be just finishing the race, right? And all those things require you to set that goal, to follow through. There's even financial incentive because it costs money to, you know, to do it. And then with that, it has helped me in all of the other, like, the long-term strategies and the long-term goal setting um, in finances and et cetera. Because, um, like, f for instance, I really like to uh, write and, and draw, right? But it was easier for me to cut corners with those things and to procrastinate because, there wasn't a competitive nature to it, right? Mm -hmm. But doing something with, with competition, even in my, um, in my youth, because I used to race BMX, for instance, it was literally simulating those experiences and giving me those necessary skills. And that's why um, I've come to, the, to terms that it's really important for an individual, in my opinion, to have some form of competition that they uh, practice in. Uh, how has competition helped you in your life as a whole it's massive right and it's it's such an important part of life i think at the younger age as kids sports or any type of athletic or performance even in the arts any type of competition whether with others or yourself it really teaches us life principles in a way that we're actually able to receive. When we're kids, we don't want to be told about life. We don't want to be told what to do. But when it's within a sport or an art or a performance, we actually want to learn because we actually care about that. But what we don't realize is it's actually about life too, and it applies to life in general. So I think you're totally right that competition is massive. Um, for me, you know, I, I... I am naturally competitive, and I think that we can use competition in a couple different ways. I think for people who are more naturally competitive, having people around you that are that are doing big things, that are pushing the boundaries, that are actually um, making change and making impact in the world, if that's what you want to do, then surround yourself with people that are just a few steps beyond you and push yourself to get to where they are, and then push them in that in that turn too right so it's part of its community part of its the people in your space or your sphere but the other side of it is maybe you're not like as competitive one thing that i think that's really helpful if you're not as competitive is to really it, at the end of the day creating a compelling vision a vision for your life and what you're trying to accomplish that's beyond your grasp or your current reach is something that can help you be competitive with yourself every single day because if you have that in front of you, you're you're not gonna be able to 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 take the easier path because you know that the the easier path never leads to where you want to go. So you have to daily be pushing yourself um, to ever reach those goals. That if it's a compelling vision enough, that's a that's a caveat, right? It has to be enough mm -hmm. of a compelling vision for you to really push yourself, and and that's really what like integrity is, right? Is is being the person that you say you are 
and 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 when you put a vision that's compelling enough in front of you um it really pushes you in your integrity of like okay i say i'm going to do this but am i really going to live up to that and i think we have lots of ways to prove that to ourselves like you mentioned earlier in the gym right or or working out or running i mean I love the gym because it's a daily dose of integrity. It's saying, okay, I plan this workout, I go through and I execute it, and there's plenty of times in the workout where I don't want to do all that I planned. <laughs> and I want to maybe you know skip a set or, or not do those last couple reps, but I have to, right? And, and it's so important to do that when no one's looking, when there's no reward, there's no gain from it other than the satisfaction of doing what you set out to do. And those are the small things that add up to the big things in our lives. Mm-hmm. And have you had a moment where you fell short of your expectations um, or fell off the path, if you will? And what strategies, um, coping mechanisms helped you get back on? Or to reevaluate your expectations and hit the mark. Yeah, there's oh, there's so many. I think that's the thing that's most important for people listening is that look, like we are all on this journey, and if you're really trying to do something that's beyond your reach, failure is likely in a lot of ways, right? And and that's the beauty of failure is that it's not something to to run away from or be scared of. It's something to embrace as a friend and a tutor because it teaches us so much. We really have to do learn what not to do in order to learn what to do, and um, and 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 not succeeding or not meeting your expectations is massive. I mean, this year I've been building into my new career path, which is speaking, writing, and being an entrepreneur and a coach. And um, and with that, there's it, it's really a season of failing fast. And and I remember one of those failures um, was. Uh, a, a business proposal that I was pitching to a potential, um, it was a bigger business, it was actually to WeWork. And so I was pitching them on a, a business proposal and I completely failed. It was a flop. I, I didn't approach it correctly. I didn't frame it correctly for the person I was pitching it to. I didn't execute as fully as I would have liked to. Um, and I and I also, um, I also carried out the the pitch in a way that wasn't helpful for me or the other person. So really there wasn't there wasn't a lot of good that came out of that other than the fact that I learned what not to do, right? And so from that experience I'm able to take that forward into other times when I'm pitching people on a business plan or a proposal or creating some type of deck for someone or framing a conversation. All of those things are providing just amazing experiences to to learn how to do it well the next time. There's a great quote by Whitney Wolf Hurd. She said that experience is the most expensive currency in the world. And it's so true. It really is the the currency, but it's also one of the most important currencies for us to to utilize. Um and, and that's the thing that the other thing to underscore is just that an experience that's not learned from is an experience that's wasted, right? If you just keep repeating it over and over again, you're wasting those, those currencies that you're given in life. It's the thing that, that I find most fascinating. And I often recommend people redirect their focus because our impulse when we begin something new, right? With the beginner's mindset is the fear of failure is, you know, there's so much anxiety, um, about what's going to go wrong if you know we don't do this successfully even when you're brand new at something and 
I don't understand where it comes from because, you know, I've seen it uh, across, you know, many different cultures. But the most important thing, it seems, is that not repeating the failure, just like you said, right? And not having, like, psychological addictions to where maybe you're insecure and the insecurity is the failure, whereas you go into every talk, right, doubting yourself. And then that colors the talk and you can never connect with the, the audience um, as much as you could. And... I think it's just so important for me anyways, the the most helpful strategy is just reflecting upon, you know, what I did and trying to be like you said before, um, when you're getting back on the path and meeting your um, of of what your religion, right? Like what you had to believe in in your religion and then how you're actually acting, which is just becoming more objective and trying to look at it without the rose colored glasses of an emotional state, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I, no, I think you're right, and I think like like you were saying. I, I just wanted to touch on that fear of failure because it is so pervasive, and it is something that we all experience in life. It's a kind of a human experience, um, and and I think that the ultimately that that fear is a part of our creational being. Like we all experience it, um, so it's not. In, it, in and of itself bad, but there's two different forms in my mind. There's rational fears that says, okay, there's a lion and my body is going to have a fear response because that's helping me survive. Or there's irrational fears that says, okay, my boss is mad at me and so I'm going to respond like he's a lion, right? And so those are, those are two different realities, right? And so irrational fears are the ones that we experience in daily life because most of us aren't in life-threatening situations every day. And so the fear of failure is an irrational fear. And I think that the, the fear that that is is a fear of dead ends. It's a fear of if I pick this path and I go towards this goal and I fail, I don't reach it, then I'm hitting a dead end, which means I need to go back to the beginning and start over again. And that's scary, right? Because none of us want to waste all that time and energy and effort. But the reality that the lie of that irrational fear is that once you hit the dead end, you never have to go all the way back to the beginning again. Because that's, that's what I experienced in golf. I, I played golf my entire life over 20 years and played professionally for almost four years. And at the end of that, I didn't reach my goal. I didn't reach the PGA Tour. I wasn't able to be a successful professional golfer. And guess what? I didn't have to go to the beginning again. I got to use all of the gained experiences, all of the lessons learned, and the development that I faced as a human being through that, through that journey, take a few steps backward, pick a new path, a new trajectory, and start walking forward with all of that experience that had been gained already. And so that's the beauty of, of trying to do difficult, challenging things, that we can be committed to it because we know that whether or not that path turns out to be the success that we expect or want, if we do it to the best of our ability, it will prepare us for what's next, whether or not it's that specific path. Mm-hmm. Mm, I think that's goes into focusing on the process mindset as opposed to being results orientated because mm-hmm. it seems when you get caught up in you know the results of things um, while it is important it's good feedback but dwelling on like um, just like you said right like I didn't get in the PGA tour the PGA tour is the um, that is the quintessential distillation of my happiness and it's like no it's not it's just the process of learning something of enjoying you know doing a sport or competing 
and just loving that. Like they're it's it's kind of cliche, but there that's a whole action or idea that uh, it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. Mm -hmm. And there was something um, that David Goggins he, he's for anyone who's not familiar, he's a, a seal, an ultra runner, and an author. Um, he talks about like the seals would go through budge training, and it would be it'd be very, very difficult psychologically and physically to make it through because they would have to, you know, stay up for many, many hours, um, days. They'd be in freezing water near hypothermic conditions. But at the end of it, people were like, oh, I arrived. I'm a SEAL. Now I don't have to, you know, um, put in anymore. But his thinking was that there is no um, paradise, right? Like you're not you don't want to start a company so that one day you could re retire on a beach. You're not really going to, most people aren't happy when they're sitting on that beach because the entire time they've become accustomed and dedicated to the process. And it's the process that that's life. Like there is no, you know, uh, period. There, there isn't an end. And all of our life is connected to process. And I think that even when we were talking about the irrational fears, right? Most of those is just becoming fixated on, uh, a res being results orientated, um, totally. And so, for golfing, what was your motivations uh, to compete and dedicate your life to golfing? Like, what kind of fulfillment were you deriving from golfing? Yeah, no, I I love the the process, right? Falling in love with the process, just to underscore that, is so huge. And um, and it's interesting because I think that our uh, I believe we've been created to work, right? We get fulfillment and joy out of work and um, having a purpose and meaning behind our life and what we're doing. And um, it's such a blessing. And then we get to fall in love with the process throughout our lives that helps us continue to level up and what we're able to do. Like you were saying, super huge. And um, in golf, for me, it was... <clears throat> I, it, the thing that I really came to realize as I competed is in college and then turning professional is I think the thing that I loved about golf the most is that it was the hardest thing I could imagine doing. Um, I, it's such a mental battle. It's it, When you get to the professional level, you, you've all been playing long enough and you've created enough muscle memory that, that at the end of the day, it really turns into about a 95% mental match. It's, it's a battle between oh. you and your mind. And... The margin for error is so incredibly small, and um, and the average time it takes to get to the PGA Tour for guys playing professionally is seven to ten years, Ooh. if you make it right. And so, um, it's it's just an incredible arena for personal development. You're you're battling against yourself in all these conditions where the pressure and the money at stake. And the time you spent and dedicated yourself to the sport is just amplifying everything um, to the nth degree. So it, it's it's still one of I, I still stand by it being one of the hardest things I can imagine doing. And that's really what I loved about it was, man, I want to be able to to go for the thing that seems the most challenging and that pushes me to my limits and is daily challenging me to overcome fears on a daily level to to have confidence in my ability regardless of whether I feel like it or not and to really get you know feedback on that process uh, pretty pretty much daily when you get to see the results of it right so it, it was just incredibly challenging incredibly humbling at the same time and and just a great um, a great 
way to to learn about yourself and to grow um, and to develop your mind and the mental strength and also um, your performance. That's something that that I've come across within the past three years myself. When I was younger um, in school, I was left wanting because, I mean, school wasn't really difficult for me. Um, I got to the point in my senior year where I didn't have any work because I was working, you know, uh, so far ahead, and then I was doing dual enrolling for my college courses for as much as I could. Um, and then there wasn't much challenge in my life. I didn't have uh, sports at that time, um, nor did I creative pursuits, nor business or anything like that. Um, so I, I was, you know, left wanting, depressed, uh, really angsty. And then coming into uh, martial arts and then ultra running, um, starting my own business, stuff like that, like having actual difficult visceral challenges and my life's never been better and not necessarily for the things that I have but just the day-to-day experience and the association that I have with meaning now Mm. and it's that's where that going back to that process mindset um, is some people can get caught up with the results of like one day I'm not going to have any more challenges and to be honest with you as I've come to find and especially the books that I read about like uh, individuals um, that came before and their experiences, one day to not have challenges, I mean, that I couldn't imagine life without challenges. Mm-hmm. It's literally the thing that I live for now. And having that orientation has made my life so much more exciting and fruitful. And then when I confront challenges and take on burdens, right, it's almost like nothing in this world is too difficult for me to at least attempt. And with that, um, the fear becomes thrill. It becomes an opportunity, right? And there's a great quote. Uh, I can't remember the attribution, but he said that life is full of obstacle illusions. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good. I mean, but but the reality is like, and Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacles of the Way, right, is a great oh, kind book. of description of that. But that's, it, you're totally right. And, and that's, I think a lot of what you're talking about too is just the power of reframing and seeing things in a different perspective, seeing them as our friend, as our ally, as the tool to get better and um and embracing them right and then then it becomes something that helps us instead of that hurts us um and it also unlocks us to really lean into that discomfort and um and growth is something that we all long for and the only way you grow is by doing hard things by going up against obstacles that seem insurmountable i mean that's that's part of the human experience and and it can be a lifelong process and uh, that's the beauty of it and it's even evident physically, right? Because mm-hmm. if you start to shirk away from things that are difficult, um, for instance, if you become sedentary, I mean, you, your body begins to atrophy. Yeah, totally. Yep. It, it it's. I mean, that's the second law of thermodynamics is entropy, right? And everything is going to be decaying if there's not a opposing force that's actually making progress it's i think in life we're on a down escalator right so we have to be continually making efforts to go up or else we're going to be just gradually shifting down it's just kind of the natural the the way we've been created and so it it does take energy it does take intention and daily effort um and you know it, it it'll look different throughout our lives i think that's another thing important to understand for all of us is that it's not going to look the same, but the experience is going to be very similar. So 
the cycle just kind of repeats itself in different forms the older we get. And, and we get more equipped to face that. So we get to face bigger and bigger challenges as the cycle repeats. And we kind of get to level up throughout those different stages and seasons of life. Mm-hmm. And so you recently, so you, is your book released now? It is, yeah. So what's your book about? So the book is called From Here to There, A Quarter Life Perspective on the Path to Mastery. And it's all about pursuing individual mastery and pursuing excellence in any field and sharing the big picture, 50,000 foot view and perspective um, of what that process entails and kind of from this quarter life season. And um, it's it's been a really fun process. I started writing it during the tail end of my golf career. I actually faced a systemic injury in my back and was very unsure of whether I'd be able to continue competing or not. And in that time, I really wanted to dive into to writing this book, which originally was more about how golf teaches you about life. But as I wrote it, it really just turned into more of a general book about pursuing mastery. And so it's interesting how things change and, and morph and shift as you do them. But it's been a really fun process, and I've been really grateful for the feedback I've gotten on it in the last couple months since it since it released, and, and just really excited to continue sharing with people. It, it walks through, basically, it gives a, a golf illustration, and then it provides the concept or the mental model, um, and then provides some practical applications uh, for each step along the way. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, when you were making that, when you had that injury, was it a pretty hard time for you and how did you cope and what were the strategies that you used to, um, to transfer from golf to business and writing? It was a difficult time, like really hard. I mean, it's, it, you know, looking hindsight, we always think more of the rosy side, but that was, that was a very challenging season. I had a muscle strain in my left rhomboid that was golf specific, and it actually repeated five different times through a year and a half. So for about a year and a half's time, I was on and off with this injury that kept recurring. And, and through that time, I just learned a ton about my body and, um, you know, the, my job became how to solve the human body and the problem that I had versus playing golf. And, um, and you know, I, I think the, that it taught me a lot of life lef- lessons along the way. I think one of the things that's really stuck with me is just that too often we treat the symptom and not the root. And that's, you know, what happened for several of those cycles was retreating symptoms of the injury and not the root cause. And you, it takes a while to find the root cause sometimes. And, and then just, you know, gaining a better awareness of my body and, and what goes on and listening to it well. And, um, and then also being patient enough in the healing process. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think during that time, um, I wanted to, to still be using the time well. Um, so, I got into doing a podcast, actually. I started a podcast with a friend called The Up and Comer Show. Um, and I, you know, continued reading and learning a lot um, while I practiced short game and re- recovered and rehabbed. So, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I really try to use the time well, regardless of if I could be playing golf or not. I didn't want to to waste that space. And so I think getting the the ability to get this book off the ground during one of those periods was 
was really instrumental in, in actually seeing this from idea to reality. Um, but it was an incredibly growing and challenging time. Mm -hmm. So you're able to find your um, own challenges despite your physical limitations at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just really like seeing ways that I could use the time well. You know, we, we can always redeem the time we have, regardless of the position we're in. Sometimes we have to get a little more creative than others. But, um, but yeah, I think it's important to always be faithful to just do the best we can with what we're given. Mm -hmm. What were some initial hurdles that you experienced in writing your first book, and how did you overcome them? Um, like what resources did you use or mentors did you look up to? There are definitely a lot of hurdles, um, and um, I think, so a couple of resources that were really helpful. One would be Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. It's a great book. I think it's the best book for anybody who's thinking about writing a book because she really dives into the experience, what the experience is like in writing. So it's really helpful for setting expectations and just getting clear about what you're going to face. The other one that was super good was Ryan Holiday's book, Perennial Seller which really um, helps you understand that writing is only a fourth of the process and that the marketing and the scaling and the PR are just as important um, if you're going to see it through and get it into people's hands. So that also set my expectations well. Um, but I think having other people that have written before and, and talking with them, um, there's a great podcast called The Self-Publishing School that t gives a lot of good information about the the what happens when you're done with writing. Um, and then, honestly, it's just doing it. <laughs> At mm -hmm. the end of the day, you learn by doing. And you're going to have a crappy first draft. Everyone does. It just sucks. I mean, you're just, <laughs> you just have to puke it out there and then spend the time and effort and energy to turn that crap into gold. That's where the real work comes in. Anybody can throw words onto paper, but to turn those words into something that's readable, enjoyable, and, and communicates clearly what you're trying to accomplish that's the real work of writing and and that's not very fun either so um it's it's a long i mean it took me 18 months from start to finish um so it's it can be a really and and that's kind of average time i mean i've heard people you know on the very short end and and on the very long end of that as well so it i think just enjoying the process right that's like we've been talking about that's that's really the key um but at the end of the day you have to just do it you have to put the words on the paper Mm -hmm. that's where um that's what's taught me that process mindset that in archery the most which is writing because i mean one of my favorite authors ben michelson he wrote uh touching spirit bear and like rescue josh mcguire um he he was on the podcast uh, a couple months ago and that's what he was talking about is he didn't have very good grammar um but when he would just sit down and just write he would pour everything out onto the page, and sometimes it didn't make any sense, but then when he came back through and editing, he would bring it all together. And he said that the most important thing for, for a writer um, is to just let it all flow, is to fall, fall in love with the process, because that goes back to what we were talking about, like you mentioned, is you're getting stuck on the results. So like, no, the story's supposed to be going this way, and he'd even say he'd let his um, characters make their own choices in the sense that he would just write and just whatever just came out on the page and then he would evaluate it after the fact. And, I mean, so many great writers that I look up to, um, that's their best advice as well, is just throw it all out on the page. Um, 
Definitely. Yeah. And I think, I, I think it's important too, to recognize that everyone who writes faces insecurities. You always question whether or not it's going to be helpful, whether or not people will enjoy it, whether or not they're actually going to read it. That's something that's again, human. And that's some of those fears that, that we will all face in that experience. And we just have to push through. We have to push past that. And, and honestly, I think regardless of what comes from it, the gift in writing and of writing is really personal. You benefit so much from clarifying your own thinking, refining your own thoughts on a subject matter that it's going to be such a blessing to you by going through that process. And then it also, as Anne Lamott says, it makes you a better reader, which is really a great gift too. I mean, when you go through the process of writing, you become a much better reader and you're able to see and read books from a new perspective that you didn't have before. So there's a lot of personal benefit to it, regardless of what comes externally from it. So then could you say that when you wrote your book, um, the process of writing your book taught you a lot more about the subjects that you were interested in? 100%. I mean, I've been, I, I now am a speaker as well, and I've been speaking a lot to these concepts that I share because taking that 18 months to really work on these these concepts and these um, these topics and the subject matter of, of de- personal development and mastery has given me a great grasp of what it takes to move through those steps and, and how we can move ourselves along that process. Putting words to what I've experienced in my own life has now helped me take those experiences and those stories and share them with a broader audience so that I can empower others in different stages of life. And so it really has formed a great foundation for a lot of the work I'm doing now. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't have that understanding that grasp without going through the, the, the year of work to really get crystallized and clear on those, those ideas. How important is community to you? Um, when you're trying to learn or pursue a skill or discipline? It's massive. It's it's very important. I think um, this is something I, I probably don't um, highlight as much as I should, and that's the reality that I am who I am today because of all of the people who have poured energy, time, and money into my development and my pursuits. I had a team of investors and sponsors for my golf career. I had so many coaches along the way. I had trainers. I had family. I had mentors. I had teammates um, that that all contributed elements and aspects to my pursuit and my results in golf. And just as much as that, this last year in, in building into speaking and writing and, and coaching, all of the people that have helped me along the way are just as much to think as myself in a lot of ways, right? And and that's the thing. No one no one accomplishes anything on their own. We always are supported by those in our community, those who are family, and those who are, are building alongside us. And so it's foolish of us to try and be a lone ranger and to take things on our own or to, th- to, to a think or assume that we accomplish something on our own because it really is the culmination of those that are supporting and giving to us just as much as we are giving to others. And it's a great gift to be able to not only receive that from others, but give that to others. And so I think the more we can be generous with our time and our experiences and even our money to help support each other, people that we believe in, causes that we are for, 
Um, and, and they do likewise. Like that's how we really promote and produce um, progress in our society. Say you're getting into a new discipline or you're moving to a new town. Um, what do you look for in in a community? Like, wh- what principles and tactics do you use to be able to find the um, the group of people that you would like to immerse yourself in or be a part of? Yeah, I think the first thing is really understanding yourself. Um, you have to know yourself before you can really know who you're looking for that will help support you. So the process and the development of self-awareness is huge. Um, and that's something that we get better at throughout life, but it takes intention and it takes effort. Um, so I think just self-awareness is the first really component of that. But then also, I, I think just being open, being open-minded, being curious, um, looking to, to understand others before you try to help them understand yourself, I think is a big part of it. And that, that just goes back to caring for others, caring about other humans, you know, and, and, um, and, and trying to see others. I, I think that the Bible provides a great worldview that I love sharing with people and operating off of. And, and the worldview is just the, what human beings are. Um, as the Bible says that we've we're two things. We're one, we're created in the image of God, which means we're given inherent value and worth that no one can take away. It doesn't matter where you live, what you look like, what you do, you have value that's given to you that that no human can can eliminate. The second is that we're all sinners, meaning no one's better than the rest of us. We're all equal in that. And so with those two kind of perspectives, I want to strive to see every human being on an even plane at at the base level, which can help me love and see them equally in the moment. Now I have to, you know, that's something I have to constantly preach to myself to help me do that. But, (laughs) but I think that that's a helpful starting place so that we can actually hear someone and listen to what they're saying and really see them for who they are and not who we think they are. Um, And so I think that's a big part of it. And then, you know, you, you just have to, you have to, go and be with people you know you have to give up of your time and your energy and and be with them and care about them and give to them as they give to you and you know i think a great quote is that interested people are always interesting right so just be mm-hmm. interested in others i think it's as simple as that mm-hmm. and then um do you currently play golf uh recreationally or do you participate in any other athletics instead well, I've loved basketball all my whole life, so I still play some of that, and um, I'm a big fitness junkie, so I do a lot of, uh, of fitness, um, a lot of CrossFit and powerlifting type stuff, so I love, I love pushing myself in those areas. Golf, I, I still love the sport. Um, I took six months off to really help my body move past this injury, and, uh, but I've gotten back into it. I, I've played a father-son tournament with my dad, and, and I, I give lessons to people. Um, so it's a great sport to enjoy. The season of life that I'm in now, I haven't had the the time to really spare towards playing golf, um, but I, I do enjoy it. I probably get out there once a month, and um, I'm excited to get back into competing on some level um, eventually, but I'm in a season of building into these new endeavors, and that takes a lot of time and focus. So uh, I, it's it's been less than I'd like, but that's the season of life. So if someone came to you and they said, Thane, I really would like to get good at X discipline. Um, what beginning strategies or advice 
do you recommend um, that I follow? Um, what would be your advice to them? Yeah, I think the first thing is always um, your why, right? Because if you don't have a compelling reason or a why for what you're doing or what you're trying to do, it won't last. It, it just doesn't doesn't stick, right? I mean, I, I remember I tried to, I was like, I want to become bilingual. And so I was like, man, it'd be fun to learn German. So I got Rosetta Stone. I'm like, man, let's, let's, let's do this. You know, a month in, I literally have used it probably a handful of times and I don't plan on returning to using it, right? And so... <laughs> It's, it's, I didn't have a reason why. I didn't have a reason to learn German, um, even though that had been cool. But there wasn't, it wasn't attached to my vision. It wasn't attached to my why, and I didn't make it happen. So for anything, any discipline or habit we're trying to do, we have to have a compelling enough reason why, and it needs to be attached to our vision and aligned with it for us to really follow through and commit to it. So I think that's always the most important. Um, and then, you know, it's forcing yourself to do it and committing to do it for a long enough period of time to really evaluate the fruit of it. Because we don't fully know if what we're committing to is going to be best for us until we try. Um, and so to kind of take your scientist hat and put it on and, and say, I'm experimenting with this, but, but the key is you can't just do it for a day, right? That won't give you a good enough sample size. You really need to do it for I mean, there's a lot of science out there. Uh, James Clear is a great guy on habits. He he provides great content and great research back um, information about building habits. But generally, it's at least two weeks to really 10, 10 to 14 days to really make something into at least the start of a habit. Uh, he he definitely gives the, the science behind this a lot more than that. But but that's a great baseline is can I commit to this for a week or two to really get a good sample size to evaluate if it's stacking up to what I thought it would and if it's really um, adding value to what I'm trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And then um, what are some daily habits that are important to you? So I, um, I have quite a few that I, I really abide by. Um, like I said, starting and ending my day in God's word, um, having a morning and evening routine that I stick to. Um, I have a, um, I have a standing desk, so I use that. Um, I love following the Pomodoro technique, which is 30 to 40 minutes on three to five minutes off to give focus, um, with breaks that helps get, be more productive in the moment. Um, keeping the phone off or on airplane mode until a couple hours after waking up gives me great quiet and space in the mornings. I do intermittent fasting, which is really helpful for, um, just clarity and focus and energy in the morning time. I found that to be super helpful for me mentally. Um, and then, I think um, priming is one of the most beneficial uh, daily disciplines, which is basically preparing yourself for what's to come. So every day or every evening before the next day, I'm looking at my calendar and priming myself for what's to come, preparing my mind for the things I'm going to execute on. So yesterday, I just got back from Kansas from the holidays there, and I my I was planning on getting a morning workout in. And I knew I was going to be tired and I wouldn't want to do it. And so I was priming myself to say, no, regardless of how I feel when the alarm goes off at 4.50 a.m., I am going to get up because this is an important part of getting back plugged into my routine and my daily life here um, after the holidays. And so 
Um, just the priming can apply on a daily level. It can apply on a on a task level, um, and it's just a, something I, I think is massively important for um, all that we do in life. In closing, um, what is the most exciting point in your life, and what was the most difficult point in your life? Hmm. I have when I hear when I heard that question, I had two pop to mind. Um, one would be the getting to play in the Australian Open in 2015, getting to compete against some of the best players in the world, uh, like Jordan Spieth and Adam Scott, and some of those guys that are just amazing, amazing golfers. And um, and that was one of the high highlights of my entire golf career. But the the one the one that I'd actually answer the most exciting time is is now. I would say that now is the most exciting time in my life because I am um, more than ever living authentically and genuinely who I feel created, equipped, and called to be, and really pushing myself past my self-limiting beliefs into grasping what's beyond. And so I think that now is the most exciting time for me. Um, and then in the most challenging, I mean, in many ways it could be now as well. Um, I think that anytime you try to lean into beyond, uh, where you are, it's going to be incredibly challenging. Um, and so I think that's part of it, but I, I do think that, um, the injury during golf and facing, uh, those unknowns was another, was another massively growing and challenging area that um, that I've learned so much from. Mm-hmm. Where can people find your book and your podcast? Yeah, so all of the all of my endeavors are really housed under ThaneMarcus.com. That's where I keep uh, my book, um, and uh, I've got links to my podcast, which is theupandcomershow.com. And then I, I, all the coaching I do is, can be found there as well. Um, and then if you're an Amazon person, which all of us really are, my book's also on Amazon, so you can get it there. Um, but yeah, I would, would love to hear from you guys. I'm, I'm on the socials. Instagram's kind of my main uh, medium, and it's at Thane Marcus on there as well. At Thane Marcus. All right, man. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, Thane. Thanks, Will. Been a, been a fun time. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Thane, you can check him out on ThaneMarcus.com and you'll find his link to his website and social media in the show notes to this episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please rate, review, share it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you happen to find this shit. Woo! I got some exciting guests coming next week. I got comedian Brady Sequels and then... Around two with my pal Nolan Kipling talking about how he copes with coming out of substance abuse and how he lives a quality life in the wake of that. He's been four years sober and it's very impressive the life that, that he's built for himself. I admire the man so much. And as a person coming from a dark place or, you know, hard times when I was a kid with like overdosing and stuff like that. Um, it's very easy to relate with, with Nolan and he makes me stand taller. <laughs> Thank you guys for supporting the show. And man, that was fun. Thane Marcus is a really cool guy. I hope you guys have a great week. Bye. Love you.